Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist podcast. Today, I'm joined once again by my good friend in academia, Courtney Tsing. Today, we will be talking about the latest Corella film, which was fascinating and awesome and cool. And um, I'm sure she has a lot of insights to share about that episode today. So you can look forward to a really fun filled episode on Cruella. Um, yes, without further ado, let me uh, introduce Courtney. Um, yes. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Tina. I'm great. Thanks to you. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Thank you for um, being willing to, to come on the show again. Um, your, the previous episode with you was so much fun and um, I learned a lot and um, I think it was very insightful. So yes, I, I asked you back <laughs> to talk about Cruella. So um, maybe first things first, what did you think about the movie in general? And um, yeah, what stood out for you about the movie? I also have a few things, but I, I'd be interested to hear about your ideas first. So when I first watched the movie, um, obviously I was very nervous that they were going to try and turn this uh, psychopath into a good person. Um, and I think there were a couple of moments there where they did walk the line and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, initially, I, I think it was, um, they turned the Dalmatians into villains. And I was like, no, please don't do this. And then they killed off her mother. And I was like, no, please stop doing this. And I literally turned to my friend Riley and I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this movie. And she's like, just maybe watch more than, I don't know, 12 minutes. Of it. <laughs> I just maybe watch a little bit more. Um, and then it got really good. And I think we had this character that um, was insane, but she was, I, I realized she was after watching the movie. Cause I had this whole thing where I was like, I want her to be like the Joker insane. You know how he was like, crafted by society, but he was insane. Like you, no one was like, I want to be like the Joker when I grow up. Um, and I think with women, something I realized afterwards is that's never possible. Like you will never have this truly insane character because of all of the, um, I want to say like innate systems put onto us in society. So I think we got almost like the closest to an insane character with this Cruella Deville um, reimagined kind of figure. But yes, what, what were your thoughts? Wow, that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, maybe before, uh, yeah, maybe let me share my thoughts first. I'd be interested to hear um, what you mean by like, um, you know, why why we can't have a female joker or uh, women and mm -hmm. uh, society. But let me uh, share my thoughts. <laughs> keep that in mind because um, <laughs> I keep forgetting and interrupting myself. So, um, yes, for me, um, same kind of thing. I was scared that, uh, first of all, they're kind of going to um, find a way to frame this really, really evil person in a good way and kind of just a way that justify the skinning of puppies and stuff which <laughs> <laughs> which I'm glad they didn't do and um but one thing that really stood out for me and this is such a Disney trope and this is one thing where I think the first Maleficent movie succeeded at but the second one and other Disney movies I've also seen they kind of keeps falling into this trap of still um villas villainizing older women and villainizing them because they are ambitious and successful, mm. not for any other reason. And then um, again, pitting these two women against each other, you know, they can't both be successful. The one has to fall in order for the other one to be raised up. And um, mm. for me, I was a little bit uh, sad about that because it's, I don't think it has to be that way. And I think um, that's just something that Disney, it's maybe a formula, <laughs> um, putting these two women against each other. Um, but then her as an insane person, uh, I find it quite interesting. There's There seems to be like sub-themes of multiple personalities or mental illness. Um, she actually seems to have a legitimate thing, like her personality completely changes when she becomes Cruella. And uh, mm -hmm. I found that quite interesting. It kind of verged, verged on that really, um, you know, actually representing some serious um, mental state, like a split personality, um, which I found uh, quite interesting too. And then um, the other thing is that female genius is also kind of equated with hysteria. You know, this older woman is... Uh, a genius in fashion and Cruella too 
but they're both represented as kind of crazy. <laughs> and uh, I think she uses the word psycho a lot. She says something like, yeah, I'm scared I'm going to be a psycho like my mother uh, or her real mother. Uh, or she was scared mm. she's actually a, a legitimate psycho. Or So she uses that term to describe it. So um, despite it being a very cool movie, I visually I was like, there were some scenes, especially when her fashion gets into, um, when she starts making her fashion and uh, appearing as Cruella, I thought like some visual scenes were really cool and it's a really fun mm -hmm. movie. Um, but in terms of uh, tropes and the, how they represent women, um, some parts are a little bit dodgy still. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing was uh, the cross dressing. I really enjoyed that when she picks them up in the truck and then she has a mustache. And um, when she cross dressed, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, but that was very minimal. Maybe it would have been cool if there was more of that. So, yeah, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, about these female villains. <laughs> So I think Disney always puts their like little stamp of remember the patriarchy kids um, on everything. Uh, and I think the one thing that I did enjoy was that some of the more, um, I would say like typical kind of qualities attributed to female driven movies, they were removed. So like there was this potential romantic relationship between her and Jasper. And there was even a moment where she was like, that's one of the many things I love about you. And he was like, okay, like, hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. Cause we're not trying to like force this romantic relationship because she's a woman, you know, like nine out of 10, um, even like in the Marvel universe, like you, you have this strong woman, like you have Black Widow and now it's all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'm in love with the Hulk. And you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> There has been no background on this. And even with this, so like, I love that we had uh, this very, very strong potential for a romantic relationship. And they were like, um, no thanks. Anyway, moving on, let's go and like maybe kill my mother. I don't know. Um, and I think it was also quite interesting because I was worried there was going to be like this whole almost, uh, not Electra complex, because it wasn't a dad really involved, but like this whole thing of like, I need to kill my mother for power. And that did essentially happen. But um, throughout most of the movie, it was, I was like, oh, I hope this is not like, a, I need to redeem my mother's death. And then there was like such a fun twist where it was like, oh, um, your mother killed your mother, but also she's not your mother, but this one is your mother and deal with that <laughs> emotionally. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I think um, it was it was interesting seeing because I think another thing is like, as soon as we see women pitted against women, we're instantly like, oh, you know, like Michelle Pfeiffer and um, Angelina Jolie. But the one thing I did enjoy was, um, I think the Baroness's character could exist like as a male character. Like I don't think, um, she was so narcissistic and um, she was delightful really. Like her overconfidence, like I really enjoyed her as a character because even though she was evil, honestly throughout everything like at some point he was like you look amazing and she was like no I know like she was never like oh, thank you panda to my feminine side as a narcissist like she always wanted her genius to be kind of um accelerated in you know how she's recognized and I really appreciated that as well because I think even though we do still have very problematic qualities um of like woman against woman like why but I also liked how the women had very almost like typical masculine qualities attributed to them and the things that they were fighting for, um, it wasn't like a man or love or even a dress, it was power. And I, that was something I did appreciate, even though again, like why, why can't there be two women in power? <laughs> I'm just saying, um, but I do, I did really enjoy um, even just Corilla as like the female grotesque, like when she donned her Corilla Devil outfit, I was like, oh, beautiful um because you know the the um female grotesque is like a character that always has this duality and they kind of well it embodies um almost like the sexualized version of the femme fatale with like the liminal abject um version of the grotesque so i think cruella really as a figure embodied that beautifully because you had this almost pantomime makeup and these very sharp geometric outfits and this insanity that kind of came through in hysteria um, but then you had like this again, like she was almost the virgin and the whore, not, I'm not being rude. I'm quoting from Milan, <laughs> um, so <laughs> from Gary Milan, um, and Chloe Buckley. Uh, but I think that, um, she was just brilliant as, as, as she could be right now, let's say there is lots that could still be worked on, but I was very happy to see how she had been reimagined. Wow. That's very, um, that's very interesting. Actually, um, I was going to ask about the female grotesque. 
grotesque because um, I don't know much about it, <laughs> to be very honest. I never did a lot of research into it. So, you know, I kind of um, watched the movie trying to keep in mind the femme fatale female grotesque, but um, I think your framework for it is much more detailed. So I was wondering, could you maybe give some, uh, you explained the female grotesque a little bit, could you maybe give a little bit more um, detail, like what exactly that entails and, um, you know, how does Cruella really embody it? Um, <laughs> do you, you see my notes I made? <laughs> <laughs> So the female grotesque is um, essentially kind of like the epitome of like carnivalesque excess. So um, with abject figures, you know, um, with the abject is like something that kind of traverses boundaries and it like, so it's just on the outside. It makes you kind of, it gives you the crawls, but you don't know why you have the crawls. <laughs> and um, the female grotesque is far more fascinating than that because it almost absorbs that liminality and puts it into like normal spaces. So um, it's it's obviously attached to women, the female grotesque, um, but it's just, it's very fascinating because there is almost like the sense of, um, I don't wanna say freedom, because that's a very uh, problematic word to use by a, a creation of the patriarchy, um, but there is almost a, let's say wiggle room in the female grotesque because um, you have a female character essentially that takes on um, almost an ultra feminine, uh, I want to say mask. So um, she has makeup on, but it's bright red with black like eyeshadow and like long talon nails. And I was so happy to see Corella Deville did have her talons because even in the 101 Dalmatians film, something that's very prominent, oh, I think it's 102 Dalmatians, when she turns back to an insane person, like her shoulder pads come out of nowhere and her nails grow. And I'm just like, that's, that's the female grotesque. Like you take this normal woman who is feminine and then you're like, double it <laughs> and then add talons. <laughs> Um, and that's why the female grotesque is amazing. And as Chloe Buckley says, the female grotesque creates a risky opportunity for women to break out of patriarchal central, but can also um, confirm the association of women with monstrosity. So that's why it is problematic because, hello, <laughs> it is the monstrous, Janine's cat just walked past, it is the monstrous woman. So um, a term like that has problematic uh, associations with it but um in having the monstrous woman you are um almost holding up like norms and showing how problematic they are and that's why the female grotesque is very important and also um like i said uh, bucky says she uh, encompasses the duality of the virgin and the whore um, and she arises uh usually when there's like a troubled boundary so um, the female grotesque is so difficult to define because there isn't like one way to define her. Um, she comes as a result of uh, challenging a boundary. So only once uh, like the boundary has been transgressed or um, traversed or, you know, jumping in between it, um, that is when the female grotesque can come about. And that's why it is difficult. It's similar to the abject where you can't just say like, that's the abject because you have to explain the context of it for it to exist, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, that's, that's really, um, yeah. Uh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, thank you for explaining that so well. Um, so I'm interested to hear um, the the older lady, because I kind of felt like, um, you know, Cruella in the 101 and 102 Dalmatians, she, she kind of fits that female grotesque, um, which is, yeah, both uh, very empowering, but also quite problematic, um, depending on <laughs> how you look at it. It's right up there with post-feminism, I guess, and the femme fatale. Um, <laughs> But then um, I kind of felt like what we see here is that, okay, there's Cruella now and she has that, um, yeah, like you say, the virgin and the whore, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> um, but then the older lady, um, she obviously does not fit the female grotesque, but I felt like she became the Cruella we saw in 101 and 102 Dalmatians because um, she's still the, the older lady. So I'm wondering with the female grotesque, you know, does it relate to age? Because many female villains, they are older women. And um, mm. I think that's also a Disney thing of villainizing older women. Um, I'm wondering if you have any comments on that. Uh, what age has to do with it? So I remember reading an article and I cannot remember the name for life for me. It was like, anyway, but um, 
in that article, as my honors year, she discussed how there are three tropes in Disney films. You have the virginal maiden, who is like singing with the birds and also has no clue what's happening behind her. Um, and then you have the asexual fairy godmother who could be a man, could be a woman, probably is a woman um, and is granting wishes. And then you have the sexualized stepmother. And the sexualized stepmother is the villain because she isn't virginal. She has kids usually and she's older and like she isn't like um, this uh, atypical kind of virginal maiden, but she's definitely still sexualized. So she's not an asexual fairy godmother and therefore she becomes vilified. Um, and as a result of that, I think that is still a trope that exists very prominently within Disney in general. Um, but the one thing that I do find interesting is I feel like the Baroness, as soon as we found out that the Baroness was Cruella's mother, there was this almost potential that she was like an, an alternate version of Cruella, as you said, like she could be Cruella. And then I think it's almost like there were multiple dualities taking place because Cruella had her own duality between Stella and Cruella. Um, and then, you know, I, I remember laughing and joking and saying, could they uh, define the duality even more further than the fact that she's born with black and white hair, <laughs> like a domino? Um, but then you had like, so she had her own internal battle. And then once we realized who the Baroness was, I feel like that was almost another duality, almost like of a present and future kind of um, paradox, where like it's not paradox, but contrast, where like this is who she could become and how the movie ends with her giving like Anita and Roger a, a Dalmatian. Um, I was like, are we starting this again? Like, is she living up to her insanity or are we trying to tie this into a neat little bow? Like, where, where are we sitting with this? So it was, yeah, I think I think she definitely um, has something to do with age. And I think also Cruella is, I mean, Emma Stone is not like this um, overly feminine uh, Hollywood star. You know, she does have a bit of feedback on her looks and she's got very big eyes um, and she's not like, a, you know, a Baldwin or <laughs> a Hadid. Um, and I think that also adds to it because you've got now you've got age as a contrast, but you've also got someone who's not necessarily like, again, this little virginal maiden. I mean, half the time she's got makeup smothered down her face or she's wearing like quite um, big glasses that obscure her face. And um, she's not really at any point where you're like, wow, she's beautiful, like a princess. You're like, wow, she looks intriguing. <laughs> yeah. And so, I yeah, I think. Mm, that, that's an interesting point how, um, you know, sexualization and sexuality has a lot to do with uh, the, the older woman, because like you said, what's interesting about the Baroness is that she's not actually framed in terms of her sexuality. Her character is actually more masculine. She's actually like a man <laughs> in a woman's body. And then Cruella, too, she's also not sexualized um, to the point where at some stage she cross dresses and she dresses up like a guy. And I, I, I told my sister, uh, I'm so, I, I wish they they cast, um, what's her name, Eva Green as Cruella, because <laughs> I thought that would have been like a better casting choice. That's how, what I would have done. <laughs> and then my sister said, Janine, you need to keep in mind, like the type of movies that Eva Green has been in, <laughs> you know, or the series like Penny Dreadful. There are some hectic scenes in there and actually... Technically, Cruella is a Disney film for kids. So that needs to be taken into consideration too. And um, yeah, when you mentioned the romantic relationship too, actually there's nothing about sexualization or sex or anything. So I think even though um, the, the Baroness might fit many tropes of like this older woman. And I remember reading that um, the older women in Disney, they're kind of represented at the height of their sexuality, like the older version of Maleficent too. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them terrifying because there are these older women who are, um, you know, their sexuality is very threatening because they are kind they're of, at, sorry. Sorry, and they're powerful. They have so much power and sexuality. Yeah, so I'm, I guess that combination is just terrifying. <laughs> That's like the worst thing ever. But then here we see women have power and we see them have, um, uh, yeah, they're really smart and powerful, but there's not that sexual, um, that sexual, a part to it so I think that's quite interesting I think that's quite uh, that's a shift in the trope that we're starting to see um regarding I female visits um I think the one thing that was also very fascinating to me was um the Baroness was willing to do the ultimate like maternal abject thing was kill her baby because of competition of like attention and I again I was like that is such a fascinating 
you know, she was even at the end, she's like, oh, I always look for someone to like um, battle with, with for genius. And it was still not a maternal conversation. She wasn't like, oh, I missed you, my daughter. She's like, I've been looking for someone as great as me and you're kind of close-ish. Um, now I'm going to throw you off a cliff. And, and I just, I think that she is, um, you know, she's got her uh, male, um, the men work below her, first of all, and they answer to her, which is fascinating. But there's no sexual energy between her. And even when she gets betrayed by men, you're not like, oh, she's like, Okay, gross. Anyway, moving on. Um, like even even when she's caught out as like trying to kill off her own daughter, she's like she fell. Like it's she's a very good example of the female grotesque because the female grotesque is very pantomimey. So like in 102 Dalmatians, when Cruella's made into a cake and they like come to arrest her, and she's like, is there something wrong? And she's like literally a human cake with like her hair on fire, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, darling, is there something wrong here? And it's just. Even in the Baroness, she's like, she fell, okay? Like, calm down. Let's go back to the party. Oh, and it's great because, like, like, she just yeeted her daughter off a cliff. The tone was slightly different. If the characters were slightly different, it would be horrific. And she was just like, oh. And even Quella was like, oh. It was just a very, like, a moment that should be horrific was just like, okay, so what's going to happen now? She's obviously still alive. So, it, yeah, this is a very... Um, it was a wonderful example of the female grotesque. And I feel like the female grotesque is a dangerous topic for a lot of people because um, there is a level of empowerment that comes with it. So I think um, the Baroness was cool. She was powerful. Like if you had to describe her with a word, it would be powerful. And um, you wouldn't be like, she's sick. I mean, her hair, she's never got like long, beautiful locks. And even when she is pregnant, um, she's like torn through her room, like a hysterical maniac. So like, she looks at the camera and she's like, I'm pregnant. And you're like, hmm, should you be? Oh. And her husband is weaker. So you don't feel like there's a so strong sexual connection between them. So I think she's a fa like the Baroness alone, aside from Cruella, is such a fascinating character. Yeah, it's quite interesting um, how she's represented as a mother, as you mentioned. Um, and I guess that's that's also one of the most like horrifying things. And um, this has been discussed a lot in relation to Alien um, as well, or at least what I've read. Um, this idea uh, in the first Alien, they call the ship mother, and then the ship turns on them. The or not the ship, but the ship has been given instructions. You know that the crew is expendable. The ship needs to save the alien. So, <laughs> mother is represented as this really scary force that does not care for her children. You know who would be the the crew of the ship. And then, of course, in the second Alien 2, we have uh, this monstrous alien queen. And she's also this devouring force. She's not maternal. Mm -hmm. She gives birth to these aliens. And um, she kind of devours everything in her path. You know, it's this... Um, it's funny this like what the most scary thing ever is is a mother that doesn't care for her children or that's willing to kill her babies um, and I think that's both um, like you say you know it really fits with that uh, abject um, the mm. notion of the abject but it also uh, really subverts this idea of you know, women and motherhood, because that is such a dodgy area for feminism always, because, you know, as soon as women become mothers, um, it's been argued by the second wave feminists, as soon as they become a mother, they are subject to patriarchy, because, you know, then women are placed in the role of maternal, caring, uh, always sacrificing for their children, not being able to exist for herself um all of those problematic things so then we have this mother that's like yeah i'm just gonna you know kill my baby just kill it <laughs> and that really subverts all of that so um it's it's kind of um yeah it's, it's i think it's both very empowering but i also think it's it's a little bit problematic too um you know mothers killing their babies isn't <laughs> But I you know, know, the thing I thought to myself was, I remember watching her being insane, the Baroness, and the, the thought that went ran through my head was not everyone should be a mother. And I think like that's also such an important thing because you have this, this woman who uh, goes so against being a mother. Um, and I liked that it was like, you know what, maybe some people should not be mothers. It's not a thing where as soon as you have this baby, you settle down and like internally you just calm down as a person. Sometimes you are unhinged and having a baby is the worst possible thing. And I think there is, again, because everything is seeped in misogyny and patriarchal structures. So everything I say is 
always has a problematic edge to it. There's nothing I will say about feminism or anything that has not got a problematic patriarchal edge to it. But I think there is this almost um, freedom, or not freedom again, but there is this counter argument where you are saying maybe not everyone should be a mother because you're not even doing the abject motherhood of it, say like a demon or something where you're like, it's still like there's, you know, a lot of like the Lilith characters I discussed, she feels very close to her children, um, but it's like still weird. Uh, this person was like, I do not want to have a child. I'm very unhappy and I will kill my baby. Um, and even the, the queen in Snow White, she's not related to Snow White. So when she like wants to kill Snow White, you're like, ah, cool. Like there's no maternal connection there. But here we literally have, I think, a Disney character who knows her mother, and her mother's like, I'm probably going to try and kill you. I'm definitely going to try and kill you <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> uh, and in horrific ways, not just like, um, like, bang, you're gone, you went missing. Like, I'm going to burn your house to the ground and maybe throw you off a cliff. I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, I think she's um, weird, but I think she's very cool in that she is willing to not only subvert the traditional material, kind of uh, vibe that we're supposed to all adhere to um, but she's almost like a counter argument you're like hmm, maybe some people should not be a mother <laughs> counter that's, very, that's very interesting that you mentioned that because you know there's um, like you say um, it's kind of assumed that all women have this um, what they call the is it a biological clock that all women want to have children first of all and that all women should have children and like you say actually mm -hmm. some women shouldn't and that's totally fine and um i think um you know it it kind of uh provides this possibility to de-essentialize women to be like you know you're not going to become caring and maternal and soft and self-sacrificing and all of those things as soon as you have a child it's it's not like that you know for some women it's not like that and i think um, that presents a very good take on um, de-essentializing mm. women. And then, like you say, she has a very masculine character too. So it's not to say that um, because she's had a child, now she's very feminine and all of that. But even though mm. she had a child, she remains a very uh, narcissistic, masculine, um, ambitious, all of those um, types of things that kind of seem to contradict uh, motherhood or contradict the maternal. And um, usually uh, in my research, I saw that when we see something like that, it's usually related to adoptive motherhood. So adoptive mm -hmm. motherhood tends to be more, how can I say, uh, like empowering, <laughs> according to some uh, arguments, um, because of this essentializing thing. But uh, the fact that a biological mother is represented in this way, um, I think, yeah, it could be quite subversive. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it like that. Actually, for me, I was just like, the Baroness is problematic for me in every aspect, but you've really opened my eyes to her potential as a feminist character. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. <laughs> I think it's just because I am obsessed with Emma Thompson. So anything she does, I'm like, oh, I love you, Emma. You're amazing. Just keep doing you. I'll find the good in you. <laughs> but I love this is one moment in it where she um, is reading her review from last year and a guy needs to cough and she literally stops and looks at him. But she doesn't, again, it's not like overdramatic where she's like, oh, she just like looks at him and he's like, mm, and like contains his cough. And then she's like, I will read that again. Last year's was genius, genius. <laughs> And like, I just, yeah, I thought that she was very interesting. And I also thought that Emma, um, Emma, uh, both Emma's, wow, look at that. Um, I thought that Cruella DeVille was also such a fascinating character because um, I feel like you had this, the Joker struggle, where you had like that internal battle of like, am I good, am I bad? Is society molding me, nature versus nurture? Um, and then you had also at the same time, this like undercurrent of evil that kind of carried through and I was really worried that um when she was like friends with Jasper and Horace and we saw her as a kid because I remember in my research with um, Maleficent the reason that uh, people resonated with her as a character so much was because we saw her as a child and it's very difficult to hate someone who was a child so you kind of mentioned uh the the uh, the joker uh, we have that nature versus nurture type of thing but what's quite interesting about Cruella is that uh with the joker it seems to be more um nurture that shaped him as this uh that made him into the villain but then with Cruella it's more nature it seems like she's unable to escape her biology 
Um, and there's literally this duality between how she's been raised by this good, um, maybe virginal mother. She fits that trope, I think, uh, Cruella's, yeah, 100%. Um, Cruella's adoptive mother um, versus her biology, which she's like crazy because her bio biological mother is, uh, at the end of the day, crazy. Um, I think that's mm. that's quite interesting. Um, it's an interesting change because with Maleficent too, we see that again, it's not nature, it's nurture. It's her her circumstances that made her a villain. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on what this means for Cruella's redemptive arc, because I think key to that redemptive arc is the fact that we can't blame them because society made them that way. But with mm -hmm. Cruella, actually, it's not society, it's her. <laughs> it's her biology, it's her mother. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, do you think that that kind of takes away part of her redemption as a character or her redemptive arc? I think a lot of Cruella's battles are her fighting nature versus nurture, but like almost visually on screen, I think once we understand what she's fighting, everything kind of clicks together. Um, and there's that moment where she, you know, she thinks the fountain is her dead mom or something, um, but where she, she talks to her mom through the fountain and she says, um, basically, I'm tired of trying to be these two people, like there's only one person. And the thing that's so fascinating to me is when once she reconciles these two personas, um, they kind of merge. So you don't have this horrifically evil character that was developing very nicely, um, but you also don't have this like meek little cutie pie with the hair that scarily matches mine. Um, you have this psycho, let's just say to use their term, person, um, who still has redeeming qualities. You know, she reconciles with her friends and breaks them out of prison in a very, again, pantomime kind of way where she cross-dresses as a garbage man. Um, and it, even Horace cross-dresses as a woman at some point, you know, to, at the final ball. Um, it's, it's, so it's very funny. But um, I, think, I think her redemptive arc is based more in identity. And I would say almost like the psychology of her as a figure. Because I think... You know, she says how her adoptive mother was always like, you know, be calm, tone yourself down. And I feel like society and patriarchal structures do that to women a lot, where they're like, sit down, lower your voice, don't be bossy. Um, and when Cruella kind of reconciles these two very contrasting qualities, you're met with an almost human person. You know, we now have this still very female grotesque kind of look where she's got the very, very pale skin with the bright red lips and the crazy hair. Um, but then we have this human edge to her that was kind of lost around the middle of the um, movie. So I think her redemption doesn't come from um, taking an old character and rewriting them anew, as Maleficent says. I think her redemption comes from almost um, an acceptance of the darker side that I think a lot of women have but are told to repress in society. So I think hers is almost a lot more... Um, uh, realistic and I think relatable because I think all of us are told like look a certain way act a certain way and in both rejecting and accepting that like she becomes a fully functioning person which was fascinating to me wow mic drop <laughs> damn <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow you explained that in a really great way and I, I think uh, that's mm -hmm. also a kind of trope that we're starting to see more um uh, I've argued that um, in female characters more recently, we see this blend of masculinity and femininity um, in their portrayal. And I think with Corala, we can take that even further, you know, that blend of good and evil. Um, mm. And what we get at the end of the day is not um, like, uh, who was the theorist? Um, was it Stephanie Gens described the, the post-feminist Supergirl? We don't get the schizophrenic character that's really mm -hmm. torn between, um, you know, either being the, the good girl or the bad one. But what we he see towards the end is a synthesis and we see a well-rounded mm -hmm. person and a more well-rounded <laughs> character. Yeah, well-rounded <laughs> character. <laughs> um, <laughs> who who is kind of happy with herself and those kind of mm. like you say aspects of her that hysteria that brilliance that uh but like uh, uh what's the word not outgoingness but that like over the top all of those things that like women are kind of almost. 
Yes, the carnivalesque, yeah, that women are told to suppress. Um, she she kind of embraces both, and she she's both the, the good and the evil, kind of like Maleficent too. And um, yeah. for me, I think that's like a, a quite a positive move because we have a more nuanced representation of femininity. You know, femininity is not one thing. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's really been stereotyped and put into boxes. And, you know, this is femininity uh this is not but um what we see with them is like different versions of femininity and it's on a different scale and um and even masculinity we see different masculinities too um we see masculinity yes. in in the baroness then we see yeah her friend um who is a little bit uh more feminine um and i love that cross-dressing i love cross-dressing it's just so funny I it's just like the coolest thing when they cross-dress in a movie i just really enjoy it um make it look very normalized so they were never like i'm cross-dressing like the character horace was dressed in a dress there was no relevance of it it didn't contribute to the plot he was just in a dress for five seconds to distract someone and then he even like i think he readjusted his like top or something or like checked his lipstick and i was like that's amazing i i live for this and then the character Artie, who is like constantly in some um like prince meets uh who's uh not i want to say bon jovi but it's not bon jovi he was he was just famous across type, maybe <laughs> yes 100 and he's like but he's always like in the middle of i would say like a cross-dressing manic dream type of thing so that, it's fantastic and i agree with you i love cross-dressing in movies because it's so it's challenging fun. yeah the men and the women i mean even if you take just anita um who is a lot more meek in the way she dresses um she's still another version of femininity because you know again she's not a weak character she doesn't buckle she doesn't she gets threatened directly by the baroness um in a terrifying way and you you don't see her um almost like normalize um the idea of like woman threatening woman or um she's not like i have to run to a man to save me she's like cool come let's try i mean you terrify me but <laughs> no and she doesn't actually like have any repercussions for her defiance of the baroness so um and even the men they aren't like bumbling they're not like trying to be like we are feminists hear us roar they're like people so like you have that one assistant who looks like a nervous pigeon for most of the movie but not in an incompetent way he's just like very panicked because of his like position in life um, and I loved that I felt like a lot of these characters even though very dark and grimy were a lot more human than a lot of the Disney characters we've seen who are supposed to be normal mm, yeah I think um, I think the previous Disney movies they really relied on stereotypes and archetypes to kind of get the idea across but I think also audiences are becoming smarter than that uh, audiences want more and um, I think that's why there's so many movies that like even Joker, um, you know, uh, so many movies that portray both sides of the story because um, there's that acknowledgement that actually people in general are good and bad. Everyone has good, everyone has evil, mm -hmm. and that's just how it is. Um, people don't exist as little stereotypes. Um, they, the people exist as, you know, really well-rounded human beings. And I really can see an effort on the part of filmmakers to, to kind of portray that. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, do you have any other, any other like uh, final thoughts on Cruella or the movie? Um, any other things you wanted to point out? Uh, um, so I mentioned in the beginning that I think women can't be the same kind of insane as men can on film, in film, in film. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I think that women are already given the certain level of hysteria to their nature. You know, if I am a little bit flustered in a day, I, it's probably because I might be, um, you know, I'm just overwhelmed or I'm just loud or I'm just hysterical. And it's, um, I think, something that's used to put women into a box like lovely patriarchal box um so i think something that i've just been thinking to myself and please feel free to you know um discredit me or, or just jump in or anything um i think that women 
in film who display insanity cannot be as outwardly insane. You can't have someone hysterically laughing in the streets. I think the closest we got to that was uh, Cruella driving. <laughs> you know, that was like the closest we got to like this almost like truly insane moment where she was like smashing into cars and they were all like, oh, and she was calling everyone imbeciles. Um, but I think for her to truly highlight her mental illnesses as a woman and to retain the power that comes with like the Joker as a murderer. Um, I think she needed to be sneakier and cleverer, like her intelligence needed to prove her insanity more than her outward displays. And I think that's something women, um, unfortunately, as film characters or figures in you know literature, et cetera, um, the most dangerous women are never the women who are like, ah, I'm running through the streets screaming. They're the ones who would sow a thousand moths eggs to address and that it, it's like you know hatch in a vault um i think there is a level of genius as the film uh, highlights that has to come with insanity and i think for female insane people um i think for men because in patriarchal structures they are the ones who are controlled so therefore their binary to that would be you know hysteria um, or their you know duality and i think that's why when men are insane they are insane like ha 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 i'm laughing in the streets and murdering and i think with women we're already pigeonholed as hysterical beings so i think our almost um opposition or uh, contrast to that would be uh almost like calmness like to a point of like in like um coldness let's say like how the baroness is like how she's so cold and indifferent when women are supposed to be empathetic and compassionate so I think that's how insanity is a little bit different, but for men and women in film, my just yeah, my ten cents. <laughs> uh, I, I I totally understand what you mean. Um, it's maybe uh, we can say like more internal. Um, maybe yeah. that's the right. It's more um, like internal uh, um, insanity, like like you say, like um, much more sneaky and uh, like like mm -hmm. sewing. I don't know. Yeah, a thousand moth eggs onto a dress, um, whereas like. Uh, men's insanity as it is portrayed in the movies is more like external um that's a very interesting point i never thought about that um actually you're right i i we rarely see female characters like like ha 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 but if the joker does that that's uh totally okay um that's a very interesting point that you make and um, I think, uh, and this is, um, you know, I've argued something similar in video games. Uh, if we look at like even combat style for, for female characters, it's more like stealth-like, uh, more sneaky um, and not so like overtly violent. Like I'm just gonna shoot you all with a machine gun, you know, but uh, it's more like sneaking up behind uh, or using different um, sneakier methods. So, um, that's quite interesting. And yeah, you're right. You know, there's this very age old stereotype that women are hysterical and that it's linked to women's hormones and, um, women somehow can't escape this hysteria, but that's why, um, I think it's cool that the Baroness is hysteria. Like you say, it's more, um, uh, yeah, like cold and calculated, more masculine. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's more. She's she's really got that more uh, masculine character. Yeah, because you don't really see her. I mean, even though her entire career is being torn down around her, and she finds out she finds out Corella's alive, and she's not like screaming and running through the house. You just kind of see her face like twitch slightly, and you're like, oh, and like. You know, I think there's something so scary about a man laughing like to himself, almost like insanely in public, um, versus a woman who should be doing that and just staring you down. And I feel like that's the the interest. Like you're right, it's internal. It's like an, an internal um, hysteria more than it is like this external expression of mania and hysteria. Um, and the Baroness is scary sometimes. I mean, like she's really cool as a character, but um, the fact, even when um, Cruella's like, you killed my mother, and the Baroness is like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to be more specific. So again, you don't have this like giant climactic confrontation where you're like, um, and I think the Baroness knew the whole time that that was her daughter as well. So it's not like she was like, oh, gosh, like there was no point where the Baroness was like, my plans are being ruined. That is my daughter. She's still like, I killed so many people. Which one? Be more specific. And then she's like, off the cliff. And she's like, still like specific and she's like my mother for money and she's like oh cool okay i understand now i understand where we're at but like she's fascinating 
Yeah, I, I guess um, you're right. That is somehow like much more terrifying <laughs> than that indifference um, is much worse than, um, yeah, like you say that like, oh no, there was that, um, I remember in Star Wars, that one scene where Kylo Ren loses his mind or he's like so upset. So he just kind of takes a lightsaber and destroys his whole room. <laughs> we never see the Baroness doing that. She's very calculated. Um and like you say, we just like the only response we see is like a twitch. Like <laughs> and that's interesting because you know women are associated with hysteria, but then um the way she portrays it is um yeah, like very nonchalant. But then we have male characters have all these really emotional responses to things like Kylo Ren destroying his whole <laughs> Uh, office with a lightsaber and um i'm watching x files now there's this one scene where Mulder also like trashes his whole office <laughs> or like the jokers like they're all so emotional um i've never actually taken note of that i've never thought about that um yeah i can see actually the more i talk to you the more i realize that the baroness is actually quite a, a progressive character <laughs> or progressive because I was, I was like, Cruella, Cruella, and actually talking to you now, I'm realizing that the Baroness was actually far more fascinating than the Cruella character. Not because, like, I love Cruella, but, um, I mean, even when she tears up her room when she finds out she's pregnant, you don't see it. You just hear, like, smashing, and then you go there, and she's again, she's, like, calm, and she's, like, great news, we're pregnant. And you're, like, oh. <laughs> and, like, even, so, even this, like, foot, the foot soldier guy who, like, rescues Cruella and, like, stops her from being murdered, it's, again, it's so pantomime because she's, like, what it why didn't she get rid of her and she he's like i'm so sorry i thought when you meant take care of it she meant like you know look after her and she's like i thought we knew each other so well and i was just like she wasn't even angry she was just like i thought we knew each other better i thought you knew i wanted you to kill a child and I, it's just she's fascinating yeah no i totally agree she's really interesting um i think i should watch the movie again um you know keeping that in mind um or you know uh, after we discuss it i think um i will also um maybe like the character a little bit more. <laughs> um, I think I got stuck at the fact that there's two women against each other and the one is villainized uh, and the one is older. And But uh, there's so much more to her, actually, um, as you've pointed out. So um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, and thank you for explaining that about the hysteria. <laughs> I forgot I asked that question in the beginning. Um, so thank you for coming back to that. <laughs> that's why I, I always say... Sorry. Mm -hmm. The whole time I was like, what was I trying to say with that? What was your point? You had a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I totally forgot about it, like I always do. So, <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, I think we'll wrap up today's episode here. Um, do you have any final, final, final thoughts? Um, anything else um, about the movie? Um, if I could just say one thing, I would just say that I think this age in which we allow women to be grimy, but still redemptive is an age of film that I'm very much looking forward to. I think the females that are coming in, well, the, the women, the female characters in film are um, becoming so much more fascinating and intricate. And I think the men are as well, because they're allowed to be feminine. So yeah, I look forward to our next session where we discuss another very interesting film. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I totally agree. Um, I think it's a golden age for uh, representation and also for doing these kinds of analyses. Um, I think um, we're really uh, privileged to live in a time where we we can witness a shift, like really a significant shift. And I think this is a shift we haven't seen for 20 years. You know, I really think the the last shift in representation was in the 90s. Um, and I, I, I'm like you say, I, I'm very excited to see what, uh, you know, what future films will look like. Um, especially, um, I'm very excited to uh, watch the Black Widow movie too. Um, I really think mm. this is a, a really golden age for for women in cinema, and um, yeah, we're really lucky to be able to witness the shift and to be able to talk about it, and um, that we have all the tools to be able to talk about it. You know, we have all these wonderful yeah. theorists that theorized all of these uh, 
um, things for us in the 80s already. Um, we have all that film criticism and it's amazing how we can still use it um, and how all of these uh, things that, uh, you know, all of these archetypes and tropes and things, they always reappear, but always in different forms and they always evolve. Um, I think maybe we're starting to witness even a, a new version of the grotesque. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, maybe something... Yeah. Yeah, that is more, um, yeah, like an evolved female yeah. grotesque. Yeah, maybe maybe it's premature to say that, but just in our discussion well, of I the Baroness, mm, I think uh, I can see that there's more to her, you know, or maybe these female characters fit multiple um, archetypes. You know, we can't just put them in a box to be like, mm -hmm. it's one thing, um, but we're starting to see, um, yeah, maybe more, how can I say, overlapping. <laughs> things just as they're um uh as they're giving more context and as they are given more um uh, nuance and um uh, as they are explored in more details so um yes <laughs> uh courtney thank you so much for joining today it's always such a pleasure to talk with you and uh, all your knowledge and um i'm not sure what our next movie will be that we're gonna <laughs> discuss because i'm definitely gonna call you back again <laughs> to appear on the podcast I'm hoping they make ursula i really just hope they make ursula into i really would like to see her backstory so hopefully we'll see that at some point <laughs> i love ursula yeah she's really cool um <laughs> yeah i really hope uh, we see something um yeah i'm not sure what's in line for this year um the only significant movies i know i want to see is black widow and gunpowder milkshake which are all more action-based <laughs> yeah but um yeah when there's another uh witchy grotesque type of thing that comes out um i'm gonna call you again and um yeah, I'd love to have you back. So thank, thank you. you so much. And um, yeah, I think we'll wrap up the episode here. <laughs> thank you for having me. As usual, I always love it. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, <laughs> yeah. which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like about, I don't know, I think it was like 62 abs. He just looked ripped and then he was just like you know a little bit of this yeah a little bit of that i was just gonna say it was the way that he also narrated it it was just perfect it was great ransom definitely went to the school of kirk foo ransom foo maybe we should be calling it loading holosuite preview program for the janeway a star trek voyager podcast <sighs> i don't know what the director which i think was david livingstone i think was thinking here but they basically did a montage of them running around the ship and it's just like ugh. It was very rocky. It was. Dun, I expected Eye of the Tiger dun, dun, to be dun, playing. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Especially when Shell picks up the water from the table and is drinking it. <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.